This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So this is part of our series, Why Forgive. The simple answer, why forgive, is so that we can be free to love. Like, it's just that simple. And, and I'm sure you're like me, that you have these moments where you're actually free to love, and oh, you know, the liberation, the fullness of joy, which is what Christ promises, fullness of joy, that we get to experience when we're free to love. It's just such a miracle. We also have to learn to forgive others. We also have to learn what it's like being forgiven. And today we're looking at the topic, please say it out loud, the topic of? Self-forgiveness. The topic of self-forgiveness. It's an interesting topic because, you know, in our small groups, you know, sitting in, this topic comes up a lot. You know, how do I actually forgive myself? And it's, it's a tricky topic because I, I think we, we, we kind of tend to break things into binary where we're either all good or we are all bad. You know, that our, our view of ourselves tends to go between those two polarities. And I think back to, you know, a, a, a story I heard somebody sharing about self-forgiveness. And, and I've heard many healthy forms. And then I heard one that wasn't so healthy. Some of you have heard me share this before. It was an interview with a, with a guy who'd been in the mob. And he was a hitman. And uh, they were interviewing him on NPR. And they said, do you feel any guilt around what you did? And, and this guy just stone cold was like, absolutely not. I know, I know God has forgiven me. But it wasn't like a good kind of, I know God's forgiven me. It was like stone cold. Yeah, like I have no responsibility for that. It's done. And I'm thinking, how would these families hear that? I don't think they would hear it terribly well. And so there's a kind of self-forgiveness that, that, that we're going to try to find today, and it's really going to be threading a needle, trying to find the right, appropriate way of seeing self-forgiveness in a way that works, in a way that, that leaves us empowered and accountable, in a way where we get just this simple fact, this simple fact. New church theology, really clear. God can't even frown at you. God can't even frown at you. So if you have some view of God that you're bringing here today of a scowling God, wrong view. You have to learn a different view, a different way of seeing that, different optics. And these optics, folks, are, are just incredibly important because if I don't get the optics around self-forgiveness right, and I'm using right very loosely, or I think it's more mu- a musical kind of rightness versus like a legalistic kind of rightness. If, if I can't quite do that, other people are going to look like this to me. They're going to be blurry. I'm not really going to see them because I'm going to be seeing them through, through eyes that really are not forgiving. And what about myself? What about the way I look? When you look at this picture, this optic off of the camera, I want you to look at what happens, you know, again, when stuff starts to blur. Now, I know I'm not the most handsome guy, but I'm even less handsome there. Right? It's, it's like, and, and that's somehow my fuzzy view of myself. And we have to come into more and more sharp views where, yes, we see certain things about ourselves. Yes, I'm bald. Where, 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 we, where we see certain things about, but we see it with more clarity. You know, so I think keep coming back to blessed, broken, share. Blessed, broken, share. That view of life that's, that's much more healthy. 
Now, the challenge, folks, the challenge is this. Like, how do we, what, what, what challenges our idea of, of self-forgiveness? Well, well, first off, obviously, we all make mistakes. Like, we know that. But then literally, and I say this very tongue-in-cheek, very, very tongue-in-cheek, we are literally presented with a hell of a problem because the problem is how. So I'm going to step over here to talk about that just for a minute. We can kind of hold life two ways, and I'm going to come back to these a number of times during the service, so it won't make sense when I say it at first, but it will make more sense as the service goes on. We can kind of look at life kind of as how do we separate things out, or how do we measure? This is what we're looking at today. And it's interesting that, that, that the negative forces in life, the shadow forces, however the dark side, whatever you want to call it, it can be based on this view. In the Bible, they use this phrase a lot, the, the phrase Satan. And so we, we tend to think of like Halloween's coming up, we tend to think of a devil with a pitchfork and we're in deep trouble. But look at what the word actually means. Isn't that fascinating? The word, the word Satan, the Greek for it is slanderer or accuser. That's pretty big. So when you get slandered, that means somebody's not telling, begins with the T word here, that means somebody is not telling the truth about you. Do you see how big that is? And we're trying to find like, well, what word can we have that kind of, kind of gets to that voice in our head? And they said, the word is Satan. The word is that slanderer, that accuser. New church holds this dark side as those parts that both excite our evils and accuse us. So it's that part that gives rise to our compulsions, gives rise to our vices, cheers them on, and then at the same time says, what are you doing, you idiot? So wins both ways. Wins both ways. Now the passage, take a look at this passage that we're going to look at today. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And I want you to think of yourself like, yep, we're not to judge other people. We're also not to judge ourselves. From the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Interesting, looking at these jars, looking at these words. And, and I wanted to go through and sort of pull this apart a little bit. Like, what does judge actually mean there? Because the way I tend to view it is I tend to view the word judge as like, don't the, 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 the judge, you know, literally with the gavel and the big black robe. But the word judge here is a little more nuanced than that. It's the word separate or to set apart. Separate or to set apart. So let's look at this passage in a totally other way of defining it that I think gets to the spirit of it, sort of adds a nuance. So look at the next slide. Do not, I'm going to have you say the S word there. Do not, do not separate. Do not put asunder. Or you too will be separated. For in the same way you separate others out, you will be separate. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is big. I think what it's saying is this. Don't separate other people's humanity out. In other words, if I, my form of judgment is to take people and to get all the bad people similar to collecting lightning bugs, taking them, stuff them in a jar, put them over here, and go like, they are not human. 
Over here I have my tribe, but this tribe is somehow separate because of everything they've done. What Christ is saying here is that if you go about your life separating people that way, and again, there are times where people need separated. There are times where people need incarcerated. Get it. But that doesn't mean we separate their humanity. Because I think what God is saying here is that, look, if I separate these people out, who's the one who's actually being separated, folks? Take a guess. Me. By placing them outside the circle, listen to this. By placing them outside the circle, the reality is I'm placing myself out the circle. More and more into dark, more and more out of the light. Not so good. It goes on here to say about measuring. Measuring. What measure you use for other people is the same measure that will be used to you. I love the phrase measure. I love what that can mean. And I think of it as a, as a cup, you know, and, and, and how does that work? And it's a very different way of measuring. The measurement, I think, comes to this. The right size measuring cup. Am I measuring myself and others in a way that is holistic, compassionate, engages accountability, hopeful, and loving? Now, I want to just talk about these because I think this is so big. If in my way of measuring the world, and, and we're asked to measure the world, but not to measure it from a comparison trap, and certainly not to measure if other people measure up. Could I get a big amen on that one? Amen. amen. If you're doing that, stop. Stop. It's not about holding up a bar, seeing whether people reach it or not. It's about, do I have this measure in my heart where I can take a measure of other people, take a measure of the world, take a measure of myself, where that foggy image gets clear, where that foggy image, that image that's out of focus, gets more and more clear, because then I'm more and more free to love. That is true when I look at myself. That is true when I look at other people. I have to understand the measure that I'm using. It doesn't work if I use other people's measures. It doesn't work if I use the measures that, that go back to when I was young. Like I think so much of my, where I, I don't know if you're the same way, so much of, of where I kind of have pain in my life where I find that I don't measure up is because I go back into being about 16 years old. How many of us are thoroughly traumatized by having been teenagers. You know, absolutely. I always feel like the new kid in school who nobody wants to eat lunch with. You know, that part of me that shows up. That wasn't true, by the way. At least three people wanted to eat lunch with me when I was in high school. But, but this, this idea of, of measurement, see, I have, to, I have to have it in myself and with other people, this view of measurement, this measuring cup that's holistic. It's not just one-sided. No one's one-sided. I've done several funerals for really difficult people. And you know, every single one of them has this area where they just, they just shine. They shine. Somebody who just loved them, who they, they just made the world of difference to. I mean, it's amazing stuff. So it has to be holistic. It also has to be compassionate 
versus harsh. Now the word compassion, I say this again and again and again because it's so important. The word compassionate, calm with passion, suffering. Compassionate means we're able to suffer with. We're able to understand, listen carefully. We're able to know fully the difference between understanding and excusing. That's a tricky one, but I think an important one. Compassion helps us to understand. It doesn't mean we excuse away behavior that's hurtful to other people, to us. We don't excuse our own behavior that's, that's hurtful to other people and to us. But it means we look at it compassionately. Again, we're all trying to do the best we can at any given moment. Next one. I'm going to have you say the big polysyllabic word there beginning with A. It engages engages accountability. So it engages this accountability, like that accountability that's not apathetic, like it, it has an honesty to it. Like the measuring cup, I think as Christ would have us have it, is, is not one where we're unable to say things that are hard. Certainly he did. But it's where we're able to say that, and it's, and it's a way, not as a way of punishing other people or punishing ourselves, it's a way of me engaging accountability for myself. Does anybody in here ever struggle with that with other people where it's, or it's like, I, I, I have such a, a, a harsh image of myself that I have a hard time saying the things that need to be said out there into the world. Anyone else struggle with that on occasion? We have to have this way of engaging accountability and that has to be part of the measuring or we're just left completely apathetic. Apathy's always the enemy. Apathy, always the enemy. Number four, it's hopeful versus despondent. In other words, it's, it's able to see that, that maybe I don't fully understand something, but I can trust there's a bigger picture and I can hold hope with the whole thing because who knows how it goes? Who knows how it goes? And the last one, let's say it all together very lovingly, the L word, loving. It's just very loving. We're gonna work as hard as we can to be loving. Even if we have to let go of a relationship, again, we can release or renew. Renewing is great. Sometimes there are those places to release, but can we just do it with love? That includes, folks, I think, ourselves. Those parts of ourselves that are damaged and wounded and sad and angry and frustrated. Can we take those and very compassionately hold them in a measuring cup? A measuring cup that's, that's endlessly wide and endlessly caring and endlessly deep. Endlessly accountable. But just allows, it, it allows a certain freedom when we can do that. A beautiful freedom. Something deeply meaningful. And that's where self-forgiveness, self-forgiveness can really take root. You see, self-forgiveness, and again, this is threading the needle. I don't have great language for it. My apologies. It's this threading the needle where I really learn to see myself clearly. And I realize for a lot of you, when I say see myself clearly, you're like, I don't want to see myself clearly. <laughs> Many days, I don't want to see myself clearly either. But real self-forgiveness has that clarity and you have to get, please, you have to get, God loves you. 
God is absolutely crazy about you. You are held in an unbreakable, eternal covenant and fabric of love. It's who you are, it's who you were, and it's who you will be. Different way to hold self-forgiveness there. It's where we can understand that, yes, we are, in a certain sense, superman, superwoman in God's eyes. And it's where we can learn to grow. Kelly's now going to come out and say a few things. Then we're going to have the middle song. I already gave you a little teaser for our middle song, by the way, if you picked it up. You're going to get a chance to hear a beautiful middle song. And then when we come back, I'm going to introduce our guest speaker for today. So... <laughs> Quick introduction. That was the way of one superwoman introducing a next. So I'd ask us all to stand and welcome Angela with a warm, rousing ovation. Angela, come on out. This is when house lights are good. I can't see a single person out there, <clears throat> which is great. All right, a couple warnings. First of all, Charles and I, my husband, we have a rating system for New Church Live sermons. The rating system is how much I cry over the course of each of Chuck's sermons. If I cry just a little bit, then Charles is like, you know, Chuck, you need to do a better job next time. And if I get to ugly cry, you know, the time when you're sitting over and you're like, please take the lights down, then, you know, it's really good. So warning, I might get to ugly cry here. Um, the other thing is, I've always wanted to be Oprah. So when Chuck said, Andrew, would you speak? I was like, sure. And I was thinking, could I do like a giveaway under the chair? Like, you get a car, you get a car. And all I get to give you is, you get self-forgiveness, you get self-forgiveness. But... <laughs> Got to start in a happy note, right? So, so instead, we're going to do, you know, actually a group therapy session. So thank you all for being in my group therapy session today. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with my story. Um, so I was one of those really smart kids who skated through high school, so much so that I thought, who needs college? Skip that whole thing. I decided to just go into the working world and... You know, I pretty much thought I had it all figured out. And some point in my early 20s, I really got hit hard with a, my first bout of depression. And I went into a hospital, just kind of my own little self-retreat. It was really because I didn't want to clean my apartment. But what I did was I checked myself into the hospital for some depression therapy. While I was in the hospital, I met my first husband. Now, let me tell you something. Don't meet your spouse in a mental facility. It's not a good idea. So I did this, I thought I was so smart. We dated for a while, you know, misery loves company and all. And um, the very first time we got into a big, big brawl, a big fight, he pushed me up against the wall. And I was so shocked that I broke up with him and I left. And I went and I put myself in therapy, more therapy, because, you know, mental hospital didn't work, more therapy for a whole year. And it was, you know, at a women's center, and 
this woman spent a lot of time trying to make me feel better about who I was and what, what I should be doing. But somehow, a year later, I found myself back in that relationship. That relationship uh, resulted in two amazing kids. See, I'm not even ugly crying up in the first beginning. Um, two great kids. And um, it also led to a really brutal time in my life. Um, my ex-husband was uh, not a regular physical abuser, but he was a regular mental abuser. Um, you're crazy. What's this here? You're crazy. You're fat. Nobody loves you. You're, you're crazy. That was like the regular refrain. And when somebody says that to you, you really start to, to take it in. But I had these awesome little kids. And so somehow, through the love of the people in my life and my community, I, I finally did get out of that relationship. And it, it meant things like my best friend taking me to a women's shelter for the weekend and, you know, people staying with my kids while I got it together. Um, you know, when you're in a relationship like that, you think you're out, but you're not really out, and, uh, and it's really hard. So I want to make sure that I develop my credibility with you as far as needing self-forgiveness. So let me give you a couple things that were going on. Um, the toughest moment in that relationship was when my son, who's now 20, was two, and my ex-husband was coming at me, and he had a lit cigarette, and I thought he was going to burn me. So I called my little baby over to me. I said, come on, Spencer, come on, because I needed to shield myself with my own child. And he shook his little head, and I'll never, like, he's 20. I don't think I'll ever get that moment, ever get that moment out of my head. And he did finally come to me. And instead of a lit cigarette, we had a full Pepsi thrown on us. But that was still really scary for a little kid. And I thought, how can I, how could I ever forgive myself for that? But even after that, when I finally got out, I still kept going back again and again. And people always say, like, why do women go back? And it's because we want to fix it. We want to be helpers. You know, um, you would never be criticized for leaving you know, leaving your spouse uh, who's, who's dealing with this. But in your mind, you're thinking, I would never leave a spouse with cancer or addiction or mental illness, which is really what I think is going on. So you stay and you try and fix it and you try and make it better. Um, after I finally left, I spent a lot of time day drinking. Actually became a specialty of mine. A lot of day drinking going on. And I would have times where I would just get both kids in bed with me and we would just watch movie after movie just because I just needed to, to be there, be in that little space. So I had a lot, lot of stuff going on. Still, again, years later, you know, several years after I left, um, we had our final incident. I went, I had already moved to a different state and I had come back to, to get some stuff. And I went into my ex-husband's apartment and he was so angry with me, he choked me until I peed my pants. And then I wrapped my sweater around my waist. I got him into the car with my two little children in the back seat, and I drove him and I checked him into a mental hospital. I still went back after that a few more times. So let me tell you, I, got a, I, I feel like I had a lot to self-forgive there, um, a lot going on. So, you know, made poor choices, stupid enough to stay, having my kid, you know, abused, middle of the day drinking, going back again and again. I mean, the list went on and on and on for me. And there was some point 
a couple years out that I'm sitting in that apartment where I did my, you know, movies and wine nights with my kids tucked around me. And I looked around and I was like, man, I've been out, out for two years. This is my stuff now. Like, look at this. Look at everything that's around me. This is all me. This is all my junk. And I couldn't blame him anymore. And I'd already forgiven him a long time ago, but, but forgiving and blaming, two different things. So for me, the door to self-forgiveness started with that amazing moment of accountability where I realized, wait, this is, this is your stuff. You're in it. You've kept yourself in it. And now if you want to get out of it, you have to start being responsible. And that's a really tough time, but self-awareness like that starts to open the door to other types of self-awareness. It was when I started realizing, like, maybe I wasn't the best big sister on the planet, but I still had time to, to do something different. Or there was a time, you know, even after I felt that I had really evolved spiritually, that I outright bullied somebody online because of an argument we had. And I had to, like, suck it up and write her a letter and say, wow, I'm really sorry I did that to you. But when you start to take that shift of accountability for all of your behaviors, suddenly you have this new ability to forgive yourself. And my mom has this saying, she always said this to us when we were kids, and it's guilt is only good if it propels you to a a new action. And when we were kids, we were like, whatever, you know, please, mom. But I really get that now because when you're just wallowing in it, it doesn't do you any good unless you're taking some sort of step to do different. And the problem with the big stuff, the stuff that we feel we need to forgive ourselves for, is there's no one-to-one for it. I can't, you know, go and somehow undo, uh, you know, the years that my children, you know, exist in a domestic violence situation. There's no one-to-one. So for me, that accountability had to start with kind of service as a gateway. So I think that service is the most amazing tool for self-forgiveness because I think we initially sometimes start to serve out of a a self-punishment, you know, like I need to just go do something good because I'm a bad person. And then what happens is before you realize it, you have these beautiful moments of that shared human condition with people that you might have held in judgment before, or you start to realize that there are people who, who are suffering just like you're suffering. And that shared humanity, that shared experience of seeing people broken, seeing people blessed, being part of that together, it's, it's so powerful. It's a, it's a real catalyst for your own change. If you want to see beautiful service in action, you go to St. Francis Inn with someone like Mary Haney. Because I have had these moments of clarity around how the Lord loves all of us, and we're so good in the presence of of Mary and her example. One time we were there, and she she saw a young man, and his hand was like swollen twice its size. And she said, "You know, I need we need to get him to the hospital." But here's the problem. He can go to this hospital, but they think that he did it on purpose because it's an addiction-seeking behavior. Or he could go to this hospital, and they'll fix it, but they'll make him check into treatment. And I could just see her becoming his mom right there, just putting her arms around him and, and making sure that he was okay. And when you can show up for people like that, then all of a sudden, your perspective of yourself changes, right? Because 
you can start to believe that you're worthy of those same blessings, just like you had some breakings. Um, giving back, I think, it teaches us that we're okay, like that it's, it's okay to be where we are. And what, what, what happens when we open ourselves up to this is it sort of becomes a gateway to what God wants to give us. Um, Chuck says in his sermons, you know, God, you know, you add, God multiplies. And I really think that's true. Um, for me, you know, as I've kind of come into that place of accountability and service, it's allowed me at work to do more meaningful work. And of course, that builds how I feel about myself. And from a personal relationship perspective, we all know my saying is, everyone needs a Charles. <laughs> so um, before I was fixed, right, before I thought I was fixed, um, I met my husband. And I only met him because I finally knew I had to move into a different state and quit a job and whatever, just like total fresh start. And there's this thing in New Church, uh, you know, theology where, where you know, it says that when a woman sees her husband, she knows it's her husband. Poor Charles. He had no, no chance because I was like, that's my guy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I went from this super broken, painful place to this soft landing place where someone would sit for hours and hold my hand and let me talk about it and be okay with it. I didn't call my story domestic violence until my then 18-year-old son decided to do his senior project. He said, Mom, I want to make something viral online. The ice bucket challenge was all the rage. I said, okay, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'm going to do it on raising awareness for domestic violence. I said, that's great. And he said, yeah, you know, I mean, thinking about our life back then and having the experience, and when I watched the video he made and realized, like, oh, he's doing his project about us, I finally got honest with myself for the first time that that's what it was. And, um, and so to go from that and to see that this child that, you know, was scared and couldn't come to me is now standing up for other people from that experience, it proved to me that the Lord knows what he's doing. You know, we can't break anything so much that the Lord can't bless it. And he's blessed me with Charles and now our very rambunctious Vivian and somehow like the Stepford child that is Rachel, our, our, our middle teenager. Um, good kids. So I guess my takeaways for you are figure out those places where it works to be accountable for yourself. That doesn't mean beating yourself up. It just means saying, Yep, this is mine. And then find an outlet to show up for other people. Because when you have that shared experience, I mean, you add, but boy, does the Lord multiply. So thank you for letting me share my story. Superwoman. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so we started out talking about how life is blessed, broken, shared, about, about the way life can be and how forgiveness just free us to love. I have a few quick things to share, and, and Angela's going to be gathering right here as I share these last two slides. She's going to be gathering with her family because I want you to see a picture of what lies on the other side of forgiveness. That idea that forgiveness is not a point, that it's a portal. It's a hole in the wall that we can go through and find a life on the other side. Or finally, thank you, God, free to love. We're finally free to love. I had one person who just said, and she's had her own battles with forgiveness, and she said she just does this simply every morning. She has a little tray, which is kind of cool, and, and she draws a line in the sand. And, and she says this little mantra, which I love, and she puts her finger on one side of the sand, and she says, I belong in heaven, and I'm already there. It's Reverend Teresa Huber. That's good. That's good. Because it's interesting in the way that this story closes, right? You look at this, this chapter that we've been looking at, this, this beautiful line, and it starts out talking about don't separate people out, find that common humanity, uh, what, find what you're measuring yourself and others with. And that's kind of the introductory paragraph. I used to be a teacher, and the two most, the two most important paragraphs were the first paragraph and the... The last paragraph. Do you want to know what the last paragraph said? Let's take a look. Well, here's how the story goes. Do not judge. You will be judged. From the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And in the closing paragraph, several verses later, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. I want you to hear that. Close your eyes for a minute. Hear those words. That leads to life. That leads to life. It's hard. Few parts of us, there are only a few parts of us, I think, that find that. But that's that portal that we're asked to go through. It's not as straight and narrow as in like some, some deep moral scripture that you must abide by the straight and narrow, you know, and it's this sort of this punitive thing. It's this idea of the straight and narrow is actually has this beautiful way of measuring. This beautiful accountability, this beautiful way of seeing ourselves with focus. And what it leads to, what it leads to, is life, is life. That's why we practice forgiveness 77 times. As we close today's service, I'm going to ask Angela to stand up here right now. I'm going to ask her extended family to come down and, and join her. They're going to just stand right there. Charles, Charles has been looking forward to this all week. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to come down off stage and join them in prayer. And you're going to hear some quiet music in the background. I'm going to say the Lord's, I'm going to say, uh, say a private prayer. You can say the Lord's prayer as you know it. Or just have a moment of quiet reflection as we close today's service. Amen.
please join me in a prayer. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today for maybe understanding self-forgiveness a little more. And Lord, allow this to settle in our hearts. A picture. A picture of you smiling on us. Caring for us. Loving us. Even in our brokenness. And help us, Lord, to find life. To practice forgiveness, not just as a way to jettison something, but to practice forgiveness as this, to practice forgiveness as a path, a path towards life. Life lived abundantly. Life lived with the freedom to love. Life lived with care and compassion. A place we know, Lord, where our hearts can break and where our hearts can rejoice. And we welcome both. Thank you for Angela and her words today. Thank you for this amazing family. Thank you for the model that they've given us of the life on the other side of forgiveness. Bless their ways. Bless ours. Help us, Lord, to remember that we always can go, that we always can go home. Thank you, Lord. Be with us this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.